Welcome to the ghost train. Tickets, please. Take your seat and enjoy the ride. All aboard! <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome on board the Ghost Train Podcast, the podcast that dives right into the creepy and freaky world of the paranormal. Now, a few episodes ago, I was telling you about some really weird and unexplained things that have happened on horror movie sets, and the poltergeist came up a few times on that list, so I decided to take a little bit of a closer look at this particular movie, and the things that I found were interesting and also extremely creepy. So let's get into it. Here we go. Next stop, The Poltergeist. Hey everyone, so this week we're going to be breaking down the movie The Poltergeist. We're going to be doing a bit of a run-through of the plot, some of my personal favorite scenes. Now, if you know anything about The Poltergeist movie and franchise, then you're aware that this movie is known to have a curse attached to it. Okay, so we're going to be breaking down all these different things, so let's get started. So if you don't know anything about the poltergeist, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the plot of the movie. So what happens is Steve and Diane Freeling, they're living a very quiet life in Orange County. Steve is a successful real estate developer and Diane looks after their children, Dana, Robbie and Carol Ann. Now Carol Ann is the main focus of this movie. She's the little girl with the blonde hair. She awakens one night and she begins talking to the family's TV set, which is just displaying static. So the following night, the Freelings fall asleep and Carol Ann, yet again, is fixated on the TV. It's transmitting the static. Suddenly, a ghostly white hand emerges from the television, after which there is a violent earthquake and shakes the entire house. This is when Carol Ann announces her famous line, Now, after this all has happened, bizarre events start to occur during the day. A glass of milk spontaneously breaks, silverware bends, and the furniture moves on its own accord. Now, the phenomenon seems benign at first, but quickly begins to intensify. Now, that night, there's the famous scene where the backyard tree comes alive and grabs Robbie through the bedroom window. While Steve rescues Robbie, Carol Ann is sucked into the portal that appears in her closet. The Freelings realize something supernatural has occurred when they start to hear Carol Ann's voice emitting from the TV that is tuned to an empty channel. At this point, a group of parapsychologists from the University of California arrive on scene, Dr. Lesh, Ryan, and Marty. They all come to the Freelings' house to investigate. They discover that the disturbances involve more than one ghost. Steve also finds out in an exchange with his boss that this entire suburb was built over top of an old cemetery. After Dana and Robbie are sent away for their safety, the doctors call in a spiritual medium. The medium states that the ghosts inhabiting the house are lingering in a different sphere of consciousness and are not at rest. Attracted to Carol Ann's life force, these spirits are distracted from the real light that has come for them. The medium then adds that there is also a dark presence she refers to as the Beast, who has Carol Ann under restraint in an effort to use her life force to prevent other spirits from crossing over. I'm telling you, this movie is awesome. The assembled group discovers that the entrance to the other dimension is through the children's bedroom closet, while the exit is through the living room ceiling. 
As the group attempts to rescue Carol Ann, Diane passes through the entrance tied by a rope that she has threaded through both portals. Diane manages to retrieve Carol Ann and they both drop to the floor from the ceiling, unconscious and covered in ectoplasmic residue. As they recover, the medium proclaims afterwards that the house is now clean. Shortly thereafter, the Freelings begin the process of moving elsewhere by packing up their belongings. During their last night in the house, Steve leaves for the office to quit his job and Dana goes on a date, leaving Diana, Robbie, and Carol Ann alone in the house. The Beast then ambushes Diana and the children, aiming for the second kidnapping by attempting to restrain Robbie and Diane. Robbie is attacked by a clown in his bedroom, and Diane is attacked by an unseen force that moves her up the wall and over the ceiling in a room. The unseen force drives Diane into the backyard, dragging her into the swimming pool. Skeletons surround her as she tries to escape, but she manages to climb out of the pool and make her way into the house. She rescues the children and they eventually escape to the outside, only to discover coffins and rotting corpses erupting out from the ground in their yard and throughout the neighborhood. As Steve and Dana return home to mayhem, Steve confronts his boss after realizing that rather than relocating the cemetery for the development of the suburb, his boss merely had the headstones moved and the bodies were left. The Freelings get the hell out of Dodge and leave this suburb while the house implodes into the portal, to the astonishment of onlookers. The family checks into a hotel for the night and Steve rolls the television outside into the hallway. And that's how the movie ends. So that's the plot of the movie, and that's a really classic horror movie. I'm going to tell you a few things that I found out after doing a little bit of research that I thought were kind of interesting. So I didn't realize that Stephen King was initially asked to write the script of The Poltergeist. Another thing that I didn't realize was that the Freelings neighborhood was actually based on Steven Spielberg's own neighborhood. Now, even though the movie's based in California, Spielberg admitted that he really wanted to capture suburban America. And that's kind of similar to where he grew up in Scottsdale, Arizona. It was just your typical suburban American life, two-car garage, track homes, and with the elementary school just down the street within walking distance. He just wanted to really capture what he felt growing up in America. Now, the movie The Poltergeist is also very similar to an episode of The Twilight Zone. Now, Richard Matheson wrote The Twilight Zone episode, Little Girl Lost, which was about a little girl who goes into another dimension through her bedroom wall. Matheson has also said that The Poltergeist was inspired by the episode, but he has never received any credit for it. Did you know that Drew Barrymore actually auditioned to play Carol Ann? Now, Spielberg thought she would be a better fit for the movie E.T., which happened to come out one week after Poltergeist, but she did audition and was considered... Well, I think everything worked out for the best with Drew Barrymore, though, because she's kind of gone on to have a very successful career on her own, right? And uh, didn't really need to play Carol Ann. And she got to stay away from this curse as well. Now, this is cool. Steven Spielberg was a hands-on producer, literally. Okay, so the scene, probably my favorite scene too, where Marty rips his own face off, Spielberg is actually the one that is doing the ripping. The actor that was playing Marty insisted that Spielberg do it because they only had one shot to do this, and he was worried that he was going to make a mistake and ruin the entire shot. So Spielberg took over and started just ripping the face off in front of the mirror. Such a good scene. Now the chair stacking scene. If you've seen this movie, it is classic, and it's almost like something that is in your mind when you think of 
any kind of a poltergeist activity or you just hear the word poltergeist, I automatically think of chair stacking. So this is kind of cool. Now when Diane turns away from the table, the crew members quickly replace the kitchen chairs with an already assembled cluster of chairs. So they just had to pull them all out and throw one in. And it's if you see it, it's pretty quick. So those guys did a really good job of getting it done. So that's actually pretty cool that they just had this whole set just ready to go, boom, 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 and it just happened. Now, did you know that the tree scene was shot backwards? An absolute classic scene of this tree eating Robbie, but it's all shot in reverse. Robbie was actually spit out and not swallowed up by the tree. Reversing the shot made the final result look so much better, apparently. I don't know how that's possible, but I don't know. I guess it just looks better coming out than it goes in. I don't understand, but yeah. Reverse shot. Now, the idea for the tree grabbing Robbie came from a childhood memory of Michael Grace. So Michael ended up co-writing this screenplay with Spielberg and Mark Victor. His inspiration for the tree scene came from a memory of him being home alone one stormy night sitting on the stairs of the second floor of his family home when lightning struck the tree in the yard outside. A big branch came crashing through the window right next to him. And then take it from there. Awesome. I just love when you can take something from real life and just put it into a story and just make it even scarier. This movie has just some of the best scenes in horror history, I gotta say. Now, the classic horror movie director, Toby Hooper, ate so much spicy food on the set just to stay awake. Now, if you recognize that name, you are not mistaken, he also directed the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He ate jalapeno pepper on set to help him power through the long shooting days, and he also enjoyed lots of Indian curries when he had the time. So, there you go. Eat spicy food to stay awake on horror movie sets. Now, did you know that the imploding house was a six-foot-wide model? It took four months to create this model. Thick wires were attached inside of the model and pulled it into a funnel, with the model placed over the funnel and the camera shooting downward. If something went wrong, the model would have melted or busted into flames. Thankfully, that didn't happen, and we have yet another classic horror cinematic scene. Spielberg lobbied to get a PG rating for this movie. Now, the MPAA originally gave Poltergeist an R rating. Spielberg told the MPAA board that he made PG movies, not R-rated movies, and successfully got it changed to the PG-13 designation. So those are some of the interesting facts behind the movie. Now I'm going to get into why people believe that this movie is cursed. Coincidental cast deaths. Now, perhaps the most terrifying aspect to the poltergeist curse is the amount of deaths that have occurred during and after the movie was shot. The fact that two of the child stars passed away at such a young age has caused more people to believe that this set was, in fact, cursed. The first was Dominic Dunn, who portrayed Dana in the original film. Now, she was strangled to death by her ex-boyfriend in 1982 at the young age of only 22. Then in 1988, star Heather O'Rourke died at the age of 12 from cardiac arrest after experiencing septic shock from a congenital bowel obstruction. She had completed filming of the third installment of The Poltergeist, but the film had not yet been released. Other cast members have died of natural causes after filming these movies, but the film's two young stars caused people to believe that their deaths had to do with being involved in this paranormal movie. The Crown Attack! 
Before the Dunn and O'Rourke deaths, one of the child stars had a horrifying incident happen on the set of The Poltergeist. During the filming of the famous clown attack scene, the robotic arm of the clown was wrapped around child actor Oliver Robbins' neck. It began to choke him. No one noticed until he started to go blue, and that's when producer Steven Spielberg rushed in and pulled the robotic arm off of him, saving his life. Steven Spielberg, not just an amazing movie maker, he is also a lifesaver. Real Skeletons Achieving authenticity is usually a very difficult thing to do, especially in the horror realm. So why not use the real thing? Yup, you know the scene. The Freeling's mom is thrown into the pool and all these corpses start floating to the surface and popping up. If that scene seems extra real to you, the reason may be that those skeletons are real. Actress Jo Beth Williams revealed in her Reddit AMA post that she thought the skeletons were fake and that the prop department made them, but later found out that they were in fact real skeletons that were bought really cheaply. Ew, now that's just pretty gross. Talk about going the extra distance for a roll. And the weird continues. And the weird continues with author James Kahn. As he was writing the novelization of the movie, he experienced some rather strange occurrences in his home. A lightning bolt struck his building, causing the facing of his air conditioning unit to fly across the room and hit him in the back. After that... The lights came back on and his video games started playing themselves. Ooh, that's freaky. Onset Oddities. Poltergeist 2 star Will Sampson, who was a real-life shaman that portrayed Taylor the Medicine Man in the sequel, performed an actual exorcism on the set of this film to rid it of any alien spirits. Now, Will Sampson died a little over a year after the film's release from complications with a heart and lung transplant. The production of Poltergeist 3 was an explosive one when a garage that was used for filming caught fire. After plastic fake ice poured down onto prop cars, it ignited them, injuring three crew members. The fire chief went on to say that the cause of the mishap was unexplained since the crew on set were all prepared to pull the shot off correctly when they began working that night. Now, to me, it seems that the choice to use real skeletons came back to haunt this franchise. Favorite scenes of Poltergeist. So now I'm going to just tell you my favorite scenes of the movie. So to start off, I think one of the most classic scenes is when Carol Ann is just crawling towards the TV that is on its static kind of mode and little sparks of light are flickering on the screen and you're just wondering what the hell is going to happen. And she starts reaching out towards the TV and then that hand comes out and just comes into the room and it's all that ghostly kind of vibe and it just hits the wall behind the parents' bed and it starts shaking everything in the room. It's just so unique and so cool. Everyone thinks that it's an earthquake, but and then you start to realize that things are happening in this home and the chair is shaking in the kitchen later on and sliding across the floor. You know, like things are starting to happen in the house and it's that scene that really captures that whole essence of everything being released into the home then it's going to be the tree just attacking robbie and smashing through his window in the middle of the night and it pulling him out and swallowing him up that the tree hands that are just coming in and grabbing him they just it's just so well done and it's just so good and freaky and just 
terrifying. And then all of a sudden the closet door opens and there's just that bright white light and everything's starting to get sucked towards it. You're like, whoa, this is intense. And, and Carol Ann just being pulled and holding on to her bed and just everything getting sucked into the closet. It's so loud and everything. And then once the door closes, everything just goes silent. Just so, so good. And then for me, it has to be the mom falling. Then for me, it has to be the mom getting pulled into that swimming pool with all the skeletons popping up. I know we've talked about it a lot. That scene is just unbelievable. And then the amazing acting of Craig T. Nelson just screaming at his boss, telling him that they moved the headstones, but they didn't move the bodies. I just, that scene, and obviously the clown scene, pulling the kid under the bed. Everyone that I know had nightmares about some sort of a clown. My wife is terrified of clowns. And I do think some of it had to do with the poltergeist that doll just pulling the boy under the bed, just, it scarred a lot of people, let's be honest. Because that doll was a real doll. You could buy that doll in the 80s. I had friends that had that doll, so you go over to their house and you see it, and you're like, uh, get that thing the hell out of here. You know what I mean? So, those are my favorite scenes. I don't know, I did nail a lot of them. So you tell me what your favorite scenes are of the Poltergeist. If they're the same, awesome. If not, you got a better scene, tell me about it. I want to hear about it. That's all for the Ghost Train Podcast this week. I know we didn't really get into a ghost story. I wanted to kind of focus more on the curse of the poltergeist, which we did, and I think it was a lot of fun. Let me know if you enjoyed this episode, and let me know if you want me to do more episodes like this one. Also, let me know what your favorite scenes of the poltergeist were, if I missed some, and you can let me know that on my Instagram, at Ghost Train Podcast, or my Facebook, you can search at Ghost Train Podcast as well. And on Twitter, we got a new name, Ghost Train Pod. Check us out there and follow, comment, like, share, do everything you gotta do. Let's get the poltergeist conversation started. Do you think that this film was cursed? After doing my research, I really am starting to believe that it, in fact, was cursed. If there's one thing to be learned, it is don't use human skeletons in your movies. Until the next train gets in the station, good luck sleeping tonight. <laughs>